This morning we want to think for a little bit about needing help. And we start with this drawing from Karen of somebody who's caught at the bottom uh, in a tough spot, um, a place that is not uh, life-given, that is very challenging. And, and as we do, I would love to get some input from you. Here's my first question is, when do people need help? Or what are the ways in which people might need help? So online, you're welcome to chat or, or unmute um, and join us. And it's uh, thanks for putting your names, uh, uh, multiple names of people who are together. That helps as well um, to just remember your presence and thankful for that. Um, uh, yeah, so what are ways, either from folks online or in the room, what are ways, when, when do people need help? What are some things people need help with? Loneliness, yeah. People need help in terms of, of friendship, relationships. What else? Homework. homework. Yes. Yeah, people need help with homework. Yeah, very real. Good. What else? When in discouragement. When people are discouraged, yeah, they need help to 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 give hope, to to try again, to continue on. Yeah, so when in a bad job, yet you can't lose it. Yeah, really need help in that spot. Yeah. Broken relationships. Broken relationships. Really need help. Yeah, yeah. When traveling. When traveling. Yes. Yeah, yeah, especially today. Um, we need help in that. When else do we need help? Uh, when overwhelmed with too much uh, to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, starting new things, especially when it's increased responsibility or a new challenge that we're not quite prepared for, we feel. Yeah, we need help. What do you do when you need help? YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> yeah, YouTube is so amazing. Um, yeah, I was looking at it yesterday trying to fix a truck. Um, <laughs> truck's not fixed, by the way, but... <laughs> Call Tito. <laughs> yeah, find the person who knows. Find the person who knows and ask. Yeah. What else do you do when you need help? Sometimes remember to pray. Sometimes we remember to pray. Yeah, good. We whine a lot. <laughs> Sometimes we whine, right? Instead of praying, we whine, we complain. Yeah. Or if anybody else is tempted to just give up. Um, and say it's just not going to work. Uh, sometimes I get angry at people. <laughs> I need help, but I get angry at other people. Go figure. Um, I think somehow it must be their fault that I need help. Right? Yeah. I want to think a bit about when we need help, and especially in what matters most to us. Who can actually help us, and, and will they help us? Um, one of the things that I've said, it's been helpful for me to uh, to walk to pray, um, and memorizing scripture has been helpful for me in that. And so a while ago, looking at Psalm 5, and I love how Psalm 5 begins. Uh, the psalmist says, listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help. So Daniel, what you said, yeah, this is what I should do. This is what we should do. And I'd like to do that 
right now. And, and so uh, I'm guessing that there's a whole bunch of us today who need help. Not in the, the, I mean, in the simplistic things, I got something in the truck that doesn't work, and it's good to pray about that. But also about the things that we wonder if there is any hope for it. And, and in addition to us, we all have people we love and care for who are in that place. And so I want to pray that God would hear our cry for help and that he would act. So let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you tell us it's good to pray. And when we pray, among the things we're to do is to cry for help. And so we ask that you would hear our cry for help today. And just as an invitation for us, I give a moment of silence for you to fill in the blank. God, today, please help me with. Help me in this area. Go ahead and pray in silence to him. God, we ask that you would listen to our words, that you would consider our lament, that you would hear our cry for help. In the morning, Lord, you hear our voice. In the morning, we lay our requests before you and wait with expectation. And so we do wait now. Our God, Jesus, our Savior, Holy Spirit, in your power and your presence, we anticipate your work to be our helper. And help us to give you thanks and praise when we are aware of your goodness and your work. Through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, the title today is The Generosity of God. And we're looking at uh, a rather short passage today. Uh, one verse. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, I'll have it on the screen. I encourage you to have it in front of you as well. But let me say a word why we're here. Um, one of the things that's been helpful for me is just to play with different ways to organize the gospel, the good news. And uh, this is one that's been helpful to me that is behind the scenes when we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, what we do is each time we celebrate uh, communion, we take a different one of these cells to look at, a different part of the table. And so it's God and humanity, and we start with creation. And we have a holy God who made a good world. And twice a year, this is what we celebrate, a holy God. The sad thing is with humanity is that we turned our own way. The Bible talks about this as sin. That he says, here's the path, walk in it. And we decide there's another way that we think is better. And this spoiled this good creation. And so this leads to redemption. And when we come back to God's side of the table, Jesus died for us. The Bible calls this grace that he came as a, a way to redeem, to, to restore what is broken. And our response to that is faith, is to trust in this work and to trust him. And, and then as we do that, God is at work in a new creation, a recreation, a restoration. And God says he's at work making all things new. And so the human response to that is to join in the mission of God. Today, we look at the cell that focuses on the grace of God, the work of God in the death of Jesus. 
So this led to looking at this powerful verse in the middle of, of 2 Corinthians. Let me just say a word about the book. Uh, this is a letter that responds to a claim that Paul suffered too much to be much help. <laughs> that he must not be a good, spirit-filled apostle if he suffers a lot, if he struggles. That must not be, uh, he must not be a good person to follow. And so he responds to this. And, and so in the first seven chapters, he, he defends his role in his ministry as an apostle, saying suffering is actually an essential part of his journey as an apostle, as one who follows Jesus. In the next two chapters, he, he, he uh, talks about this collection among the Gentile Christians for the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem was a, a hard place to live anyway, and all these people had relocated with, the, it seems, there are many of them, with the start of Christianity. They came and experienced God's work and the Holy Spirit, and so they stayed, but they don't have the connections that they would have had elsewhere. Many challenges, and so Paul gathered money from these churches all around, primarily non-Jewish churches, to bring back to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And then the last chapters, Paul uh, appealed to, to the people who were rejecting his authority to, to understand and to follow what he was teaching. So today, we look at these two chapters. Paul raises this question and responds to it of why should a Christian be generous? Why is it that people ought to be generous with others? And Paul said, well, let's look at Jesus. And so here it is. This is the, the theological foundation he gives for being generous. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. just want to reflect on that verse for a couple of minutes. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he's going to define this grace, this, this, this gift of God. And he says, here's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich, yet he became poor. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was rich, became poor, he said, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. So I just want to think about that for a minute. First of all, about how Jesus moved from riches to poverty. So I confess, sometimes I think, think of the, the richest people in the world, and you think they could give a whole bunch of money away and they would even never know that it was gone. Right? They, they, they have so much that if they gave a whole bunch, they wouldn't even miss it because they couldn't tell it was there. And sometimes I think God has so much that if he gives a lot away, he can't even tell. Because he has so much, right? He's got unlimited resources. So what, what matter is it if he gives a bunch away? But we're told that Jesus actually went into poverty. So what does that mean? Well, here's just a few of Christ's riches replaced with poverty. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived in overwhelming beauty. I love this description from Psalm 27. One thing I asked of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. He said, this is what I would love to do, is just to spend time looking at how amazing God is. Right? And years ago, as a family, we, we had a chance. I taught some in Switzerland. And when you first get there, it's just like, wow, these mountains are just unbelievable in their beauty. And we're taking pictures every direction. We go for a drive, and oh, stop, let's take a picture there. And it was just so beautiful. 
after we'd been there about three weeks, it's just like, oh, enough with the beauty. We just, it's, it's so tiring because there's, but this isn't the way God is, right? The psalmist says, I wish I could just stop and look and see the beauty of God. And this was the Son of God. And yet we read that when he came to be our rescuer, he had no beauty had no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He set aside this beauty, and we're told in his human form, nothing special, nothing to say, wow. He went from this overwhelming beauty that just caused people to stop and say, he is amazing, to be one that people looked and said, yeah, whatever, there's not much there. Jesus, as the Son of God, uh, had all-surpassing glory. This description of Jesus, that, that this idea to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The Son of God had all-surpassing glory. When Jesus came, human being, we're told that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Right, Going from having this overwhelming glory that all creatures who see him would bow and worship and we're told the world didn't even know that he was a god didn't even think he was a special person but even more than that he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain he went from all surpassing glory to having no glory at all in fact being despised and rejected by people the son of god existed in perfect, joyful blessedness. This this blessing in 1 Timothy says that God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is in a state of perfect happiness and joyfulness because of his glory, his goodness. It was was good beyond our, our imagination. And yet Jesus, when he came to be our sacrifice, we're told being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. His anguish was so deep that that his body was was oozing out blood just because of the anguish of his being and, and expressed going from this perfect joyful blessedness to the deepest anguish. The Son of God was in the perfect delight of God the Father. Uh, Beginning of Jesus' ministry, God speaks from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And yet because of his work to be our sacrifice, we're told it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. As the son of God, he enjoyed the perfect delight of the father. And yet because he took up our sin as if it were his own, The Father crushed him to suffering, to death. The Son of God, as a part of of the Trinity of God, was worshipped by all people. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. Everyone will say he is God and he is the one with total authority. And yet we're told that Jesus came to his own people. And they didn't receive him. They rejected him. right? Rejected by his own people. The Son of God was living in heaven as God. In the beginning was the Word, as we heard this morning. And the Word was with 
with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He lived in heaven as God. And yet we read of Jesus' own, own description. He says, I don't even have what foxes and birds have. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He went from being one who was living in heaven as God to one who had no home on earth. And, and so this is what the Son of God did to rescue us. He went from overwhelming beauty to being despised, from being one with all-surpassing glory to one that people judged and said he deserves his own trouble, from perfect joyful blessedness to deepest anguish. Right, And you see the list. He gave up this wealth of goodness and power and glory and became poor. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I just want to think for a minute about that second part. He did this so that we can move from poverty to riches. And so here's some example of, of, of our poverty that's replaced with riches. We are, by nature, dead. Although they knew God, the description is of, of people like us, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They, they didn't recognize him as God as they didn't give thanks. And so they were told that, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. This is our poverty. We start out by nature separated from God. And yet, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We have gone from being spiritually dead in Christ to truly being alive. Our poverty is that we are separated from God by our sin. This description of that they're, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. And yet, in Christ, we are told that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We go from being separated from God by our sin to being dearly loved children of God. In our poverty, we deserve God's wrath. This description that all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And yet the invitation of God, he says, come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We go from deserving God's wrath to being cleansed and made holy like God. In our poverty, we are troubled by our sins so that when Peter realized a bit more about who Jesus was, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Troubled by our sins. And yet, this statement, this invitation, praise the Lord who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, that we are, because of Jesus' poverty, completely forgiven and healed. And we are separated from others in our natural state, in our, in our poverty. And uh, Galatians 5 says this is what people are like. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All of these things that separate people from people. And this is a part of our poverty. And yet we're told 
that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We go from being separated from others to being restored in relationship. And in some ways, to me, the the one that, that catches me the most is the statement that we are without hope and without God. Paul says to remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, without hope and without God in the world, the deepest form of poverty. And yet, Jesus says, here's the invitation, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit because Jesus gave up his riches to become poor. We, out of our poverty, through his poverty, can become rich to be truly alive, loved children of God, cleansed and made holy like God, completely forgiven and healed, restored in relationships and empowered by the Holy Spirit. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So the big idea is that Jesus gave up his glory, and he died to give us life, and glory with God forever. He gave up his glory and his life to give us life and glory with God forever. The good news is that that wasn't the end for him. Then he rose again to life and glory forever. This is the good news, this great exchange of the one who had all the wealth he could imagine, that we can imagine, and more. And he gave it up that we could go from our poverty to wealth, to riches that he gives. And and so in this, we see that sacrificial generosity is the heart of God and the heart of the gospel. So we return to the drawing. Sometimes, like in this drawing, we find ourselves in trouble. We find ourselves struggling to make sense of the world, to make sense of our lives, struggling to find a way through. And in some ways, the Bible doesn't offer the encouragement I'd like to start with. I'd like it to start with the encouragement that says, but you know, it's not actually your fault, so we'll take care of it. Hang in there. (laughs) Actually, the Bible says that like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve the trouble that we have. So now we have an addition. I don't know if you can see the addition to this drawing. We have somebody coming with a ladder. And it's actually very kind when somebody offers us a ladder. The reality is that there is no ladder long enough or strong enough to get to God. Well, and even if there were, I could never climb it. The ladder doesn't work. It's never sufficient. And so here is a drawing that kind of expresses this idea of what Jesus has done. That he stepped onto this pulley and the way that he raises somebody up from the depths is he exchanged places. That he goes down so that they can come up. And if somebody does this for us, they say, oh, I will come and exchange places with you. It's an overwhelming thing. It's an overwhelming offer to think somebody would do that. They say, I'll take your spot in trouble, and you take my spot on the outside. I'll exchange. But we see uh, the statement from Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he says to us who don't deserve it, you are my friends. 
I've laid down my life for you. When God saw the trouble of humanity, he didn't say, here's a ladder, start climbing. He said it'll never work that way. He said, here's my son who will exchange places with you. See, Jesus gave up his glory and he died to give us life and glory with God forever. Then he rose again to life and glory forever. And we see in this that the sacrificial generosity is at the heart of God. This is who God is. This is what he is like. It's at the heart of the gospel. So application of this in two parts. Very simple. One is rejoice in Christ's sacrifice that gives us life. This, This amazing statement, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, let me exchange places for you. I will descend into the pit so that you can be brought out. And because of this work of Jesus, we're told that this is the only solution. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So our reaction is, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The question I have today, first of all, is have you trusted in Jesus as Savior? I realize in myself how close I get to really trusting him, when in reality what I'm trusting is that I'll try better this time. I I hope he'll give me a clean slate and a chance to try again. And it's not what it is to trust him. It is to say, Jesus, you took the punishment that I deserve. It's an exchange. It's not another try. Please save me by your death. And and so this is the the statement that that this, this famous verse that matches this picture for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die in our place that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The invitation is to rejoice in Christ's sacrifice that gives us life. It's a work that he has done that, that we receive with joy and and perhaps for you today, it's a time to be reminded when we're tired and we're working hard and we say, I'm trying, but I'm not very good at this. So say, well, that was never the way it was going to work. The plan of God is an exchange. Jesus Christ left behind his riches to enter into poverty so that through his poverty, we would become rich as an act of God that we receive as a gift and then praise him. And thank him for that. So we rejoice in Christ's sacrifice that gives us life. And then, as Paul uses it in this section, it's the invitation to excel in the grace of giving. Uh, And so Paul says this is a couple of statements from chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says, as an invitation, see that you excel in this grace of giving, in this this sacrificial generosity, this this, uh, provision out of my resources for the good of others. And, and, and he says, here's what it's like when God's at work. Instead of people begging you, begging me to give, he says, here's the evidence of God really being at work. He says of these Macedonian Christians, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. He says, this is what the life of God is like in his people. Not how much do I have to give? <laughs> But would you please give me the opportunity to give? Urgently pleaded with them for the opportunity to join in this giving. Now, of course, we need to give wisely. 
right? And Paul talked about this. He says we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. And it is certainly, certainly easy to give in bad ways, right? There's some people talk about a benevolent oppression. We do nice things for people in a way that keeps them down. We, we do things and it, and it hurts people. So it's certainly possible to do this poorly. But the answer is not to stop doing it, to stop being generous. It's to be wise in our generosity. And it is to give trusting God. And Paul makes a statement, God is able to bless you abundantly. God has all the resources, right? He's able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The invitation is to excel in this grace of giving. Because sacrificial giving is at the heart of God and the heart of the gospel. And for those who follow him, we join in that work, urgently pleading that we could be a part of it. There are lots of different ways to do this. And and I want to put just a few things on the screen, but also ask Alan if he could tell a few stories that he knows of of how people are involved in this, this grace of giving uh, that comes in many different forms. So, yeah, Alan, would you, you share a few words with us? Yeah, I'm excited to just testify of God's uh, generosity. Um, some of you know that my wife and I started a ministry about 15 years ago that's very grassroots missions, uh, compassion and discipleship work in Southern Africa. And over the years, I kind of always hoped we would get these big grants come in and take care of everything. But God has seen it fit to use his people who have given very sacrificially and generously over the years. And so it's been fun to see how God has met that need. Two quick stories. One time, um, we were doing a presentation somewhere. I think it was in Okemos at someone's house. And... um, uh, an unlikely person decided to donate to us. It was a seven, eight-year-old young girl who decided she would run a lemonade stand for the summer and give all of the proceeds from that to um, uh, a, a need that we had. And uh, a need became obvious on the ground in Zimbabwe of uh, two uh, orphan kids who needed school um, supplies and school uniform so that they could attend school. And that donation fit perfectly with that. And I just thought, how awesome that God would meet the needs of two orphan kids uh, by a, a young kid in, in uh, Michigan. Um, another time we were really uh, incredibly blessed was we had a sense that we, we ran a year-long volunteer program. And one of our desires was to grow servant leaders, uh, especially through young African leaders. And uh, we just didn't have the funds to do it. We knew it was important. We wanted to do it. And a church in North Carolina, I remember them saying, hey, we've heard about this. We really want to give to this. We don't have much, but we want to give. And they gave to uh, supporting our first three African interns uh, for a year. And they thought, I just remember them thinking, this is so insignificant. But it was so important. And, and two of those interns have gone on to start their own grassroots ministries in Africa. And it's so awesome to be able to see people sacrificially, generously giving and God multiplying that uh, beyond what they, they will know. And so I'm convinced when we get to heaven, we'll be standing around people who will be like, you know what? 
you guys gave, you did this, and God used it and multiplied it. So praise God. Thank you, Alan. Good word, and especially remind me of the, the widow and her two small coins, and she probably felt like this is a waste. Why give this? And Jesus said, no, this is more than all the other stuff that's been put in. So yeah, the encouragement in whatever form it is to say, God, I want to I want to give, I want to be generous, help me in that. And I just want to highlight that it comes in multiple forms. And one I just want to challenge us with that I think is really powerful in today's world is the generosity of kindness. That, that this is a gift that we can give to people that actually, on one level, is really easy to do. And yet it's amazing how dramatic it is when it's given in today's world. Kindness, time, attention, serving people, and of course giving in resources is so valuable and good. And it is true. God has given to some people an abundance so that they will give an abundance. And God has given all of us so that we can give. And we urgently plead, God, would you let us do that? Would you open the door for us to do that? And and, uh, one of the things that I want to say is, I don't know about you, if the news is disturbing to you, to hear about what's happening locally or around the world, just encourage you with this one idea, is to respond to the news with generosity. Maybe it is to say, Okay, today I will give as small or as big as it is. A wonderful thing about giving electronically is you can give a very small amount and still it, it, it's valuable. It can and arrive and, and, and really make a difference. So when you are troubled by things that you see in the news, in conversations with people, say, I wonder if there's a way that I could respond in generosity, whether through kindness or prayer or hope or giving to meet the real needs that people have. One of the best descriptions we have of, of the call for us to follow in Jesus' steps from Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality of God, with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He took up poverty. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The story of the Son of God is one who went from riches, from glory, from joy and honor in the presence of his Father into poverty, to set aside all that, to suffer and to die for us, to be raised again to the position of glory. And in a small way, we're invited into that as well. We are brought into relationship with God through Jesus, and then we're invited to sacrificially give, to say, here are rights, here are resources, and I'm going to choose to give a portion of those, eagerly looking for the opportunity to give to others. And God says, I will fill that with my presence and joy, and I will keep giving to you so that you can keep giving 
more and more. And of course, it's not a promise we give financially, we get financially back. We get such something worth so much more, in addition to ways, God, that might bless that we don't know. Paul calls us to be like Jesus, Jesus who gave up his glory and he died, to give us life and glory with God forever. And then Jesus rose again to glory and life forever. The sacrificial generosity is at the heart of God and the gospel. So I go back to the original question. Do you need help? Do you know someone who does? Clearly the invitation is to look to the cross. If you need help, look to the one who gave everything in order to bring rescue, to restore. And and God in his nature can't stop giving. He can't slow down and say, oh, there we go. I did my big thing by giving Jesus. Now it's up to you guys. We're told, how can he stop giving if he's already done this? Look to the cross. And if you're around and with people who are struggling and need, point to the cross. Say, here is the work of God. At the heart of God is this generosity. And then we ask, God, would you help us to excel in the grace of giving, to be like our Savior? Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for your willingness to lay down your claim to your glory, to lay down your claim to the perfection and the joy of of being in fellowship with your Father. And you are willing to have him turn his face away. You are willing to suffer physically and emotionally and spiritually to endure the wrath of people and even the just wrath of the Father. We thank you that you left your riches, that you could rescue us from our poverty and to give us the riches and the joy and the glory of knowing our God through you. So, Father, I pray today for for any who have prayed about their need. I pray that by your Spirit, you would open our hearts to trust you, to see the work of Jesus, and to know that work, while finished on the cross, is an expression of a heart that has not changed, that you are God who gives. And so as we have prayed, I pray that you would help us. And I pray that you would show us, open the door for us to excel in the grace of giving, that we would urgently plead for opportunities to do this. I pray that you'd open our eyes and give us courage. Do your work in us. We thank you, Jesus, that you left your riches to become poor, that through your poverty, we could become rich in knowing the author of life. We thank you for this life. We thank you for giving of your life and taking it up again to be in glory forever. Amen.